Peter chapter 3. The title of today's message is The Dimension of Faith. And studying these first nine verses and allowing God to lead me throughout the week um, with each verse and, and I get to verse 9 and he gives me something else and he gives me something else and he gives me something else. So we're going to do this a little bit backwards. We looked at verse 1 last week. We're going to look at... <laughs> All right. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9 next week, but we're going to zero in on one verse this week. And if we understand this verse... Um, so many questions will be answered. I know as a song we just sang, there are many searching for answers far and wide, answers that only you can provide. Um, let's pray before we begin today. Lord, I pray that you would guide us through your word today. I pray that as only you can, that each step I take in this next week will be equipped by your word today so that the decisions that I would fail to make in a tough situation will have already been made for me. In Jesus' name, amen. We read verse 9 as we begin today. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 is a familiar verse. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the title of today's message is The Dimension of Faith. And you may, that may hit your ears and you may think, man, I don't know if I have that dimension. And you're right. You don't. You don't have the dimension of love, Faith, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, peace. You do not have that dimension, but God does. And what happens is when we ask God difficult questions in difficult circumstances, what do we do in this crisis? What do I do? How do I make the decision? How do I know what's right to do? What the Bible actually teaches us is that that's the wrong question. That's the wrong approach. The reality is, we just saying, you're a good father, and I'm loved by you. That's what we need to know. When we ask God a hard question, and we look around, we're looking in the wrong place. When we ask God, what about this? Can you fix this? Can you deal with this? Can you give me this? The Bible actually teaches that the question should be, who are you? So when Jesus, the night that he was arrested in John 17 and verse 3, he's talking to his good, good father when he says, this is eternal life, that they would know you the only true God and the one that you have sent. If we know those two things, everything is answered. So peace today, grace 
today. We need them both, so how do we receive them today? 2 Peter 1, 2. Peter prays that we would have grace and peace in abundance. How? Through the knowledge of God. The more I know who he is, the more the questions that get answered. So we're going to look at scriptures. We're going to start with um, an atheist, maybe a Christian in a difficult situation. Says, if God is all powerful, why this? It's a misunderstanding of his power. Patience is a dimension of God. Power is a dimension of God. And the more we understand each dimension, the more questions get answered. So, powerful, creative God, Elohim. Why this? Why don't you stop this? Why don't you heal here? Why don't you change this? We're going to answer those questions today by understanding who God is. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55 as we start with omnipotence as a dimension of God. So omnipotence is a dimension of God. God is all-powerful. Can he do anything? He can do anything that doesn't contradict his exclusiveness. So he can't make square circles and he can't violate free will because those are exclusive and he cannot violate those things. He has the power for anything, but it is power that fits his dimension of omnipotence as well as all of his other dimensions. We pick this up in verse 6 of Isaiah 55 and we see it's actually a passage about repentance. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn, repent to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, and he will freely pardon. That's what actually happens when we are saved. He pardons our sins. Verse 8 for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word goes out from my mouth, logos, in the Greek and the New Testament. It will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When we limit the dimensions of God, questions are hard to answer. So all-powerful seems limitless. But when we approach God and say, okay, God, if you're all-powerful, why evil? Why plague? Why suffering? 
And when we look at him through one dimension, that question is hard to answer. Turn in your Bibles, hold your, stick something in Isaiah. We'll be in chapter 53 in just a second. Turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Usually, in a debate or in an attack or an assault on God and his character and his word and evil and plague and all of these things, the question is asked in two dimensions. If God is all-powerful and God is all-loving, then why evil? Why suffering? Why disease? Why plague? Love is only perfect from God. For me to love you like God loves me is to be a steward of the love he has given me. In other words, patience is not a dimension of Jim McDowell, but it can go through him from the fruit of the Spirit. Love, an agape love, the highest desired will for another with no restrictions, no reciprocation, nothing needed in return. It's all about you, as I project. That dimension doesn't exist in me. But I can let God's love go through me to another person. Love is a paradigm that um, you, you make this circle all the way around back to love. And if you see the paradigm, you see what God does in his love, you begin to understand why evil, why suffering. Love has to be a choice. Love has to sacrifice for another. In order for God to be love, in other words, the, a dimension of God is that he is love. In order for that to be true, in order for him to offer it to us, follow this circle. If there is love, there has to be free will. If there is free will, there has to be evil. If there is evil, there has to be suffering. If there is suffering, there has to be healing. If there is to be full healing, there has to be redemption. If there is to be redemption, there has to be a savior. If there is a savior, he has to be perfect, all-powerful, and sacrifice himself completely to make the circle complete. So, Love brings with it free will. Free will brings with it evil. Evil brings with it suffering. Suffering brings with it the need for healing. The need for complete healing requires a healer and a redeemer because healing is only full at redemption. Redemption requires a savior, which requires a sacrifice which is love. So when we read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, 
And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. This paradigm which allows me to love him back has to be that circle that we just described or I can never love him back. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Peter is telling us in 2 Peter 3, 9, God is patient. We read in Isaiah 55, God is all-powerful. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God with them. This is how love is made complete, how we complete this circle among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because the Redeemer came in that line that we followed. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. I don't have that dimension, but I can be a steward of it. Verse 16, relying on his love for me and through me. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Listen to this sentence now. Because we are all in this room, we are all in this world capable, but in the moment that I fear something besides God, this is always true. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The paradigm is broken when I fear something else. When I rely on his love, because God is love, fear is demolished, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 18 again, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. The paradigm that I described is the biblical paradigm. If you were to say, for example, God, I have a question. I would rather live in a world without evil. I would rather live in a world without suffering. What you're saying is I would rather live in a world without love. In order for love to exist, evil is born out of free will and suffering comes as a result of evil. Here's a question God might ask you back. So your question is, if I understand it right, can you or you would prefer to live in a, love, in a world without evil and a world without suffering, question to you, would you exist in that paradigm? Because you wouldn't. It would be similar to a little boy saying, man, I wish I had Johnny's dad for my dad. If only Johnny's dad would have married my mom instead of the dad that I got because he wants to play baseball all the time. If that happens, you don't exist. Someone else does. If what you would really rather have is a world where you cannot receive love or give it, you cannot have an original thought, you cannot choose what to eat, what to say, where to go, or do any of those things, because if, if you're pulling out evil and you're pulling out suffering, you're taking all of those things away. You have to eliminate free will. You can't even have this conversation. You can't have an original thought. You can't, you're an atheist. We're just matter and chemicals, and there is no original thought. There is no truth. Turn to 
Isaiah chapter 53 now. Hope you kept your spot there. This is Jesus making the full circle of this paradigm. The creator of the universe, the creator of humanity, the son of God, showing us how to make this circle full. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, we should read the whole chapter. In the interest of time, surely he took up our pain, which is a result of free will, and bore our suffering, the result of free will. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's love. That's God's love. That's God saying, I offer you the highest level of love, which brings with it free will which is going to result in evil, which is going to lead to suffering and disease and sickness and seemingly untimely deaths. It's going to bring sin after sin and evil after evil. It's going to bring curses on the land. It's going to bring curses on people. It's going to bring curses on Satan. And it's going to be so messed up, but I'm going to make it all right. I'm going to heal every wound. I'm going to bind up every infirmity. I'm going to love to the fullest extent by stepping off of my throne, going to the once perfect creation, drawing those created to myself by redeeming them from the curse that was brought by the love that I expressed in the beginning. Because this is the only paradigm where you choose me back. That's the only way possible that I can say, I love you, Lord. So we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This paradigm for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. This paradigm, this is how we know what love is. God, Christ Jesus, laid down his life for us. This paradigm of love, God demonstrates his love in this while we were his enemies, while we were sinners, while we were fallen, while we were against his plan and wanted our own plan, Christ Jesus died for us. That's love. In a strange way, when you see a pandemic, you, could, you should think love. When you see evil in the world, you should think Love, because without free will, we can't love in return. We can't have an original thought. We can't do anything for anyone that can in any way be described as love. 
So 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. When you add the dimension of love and you honestly look at the paradigm, so the paradigm that I gave you, that circle um, from, you know, God giving his love, God giving us his blessing, God giving us his free will, which, which, which leads to evil, which leads to suffering, which, which leads to healing, the need for healing, the need for redemption, needs a savior, needs a sacrifice, needs Jesus to give up everything on the cross for us. Even in a practical sense, a non-saved non person could see that paradigm and recognize it. And the question becomes answered. We add another aspect, another dimension in patience as we look at God. In Hebrews chapter 2, we see um, pictures of this pace, patience. When Jesus came and walked this earth, verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. We're before the cross now. We're Jesus experiencing exactly what it would be like to live in a fallen world. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is Satan or that is the devil. That's the paradigm when it is complete, defeats all evil, defeats this spiritual warfare that we will talk about in church builders this afternoon. Verse 15, and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. The fear of death is, is drenching the United States right now. It's fair to say that the, it's drenching the church right now. We read in 1 John chapter 4 that if fear exists in you that isn't directed at God, you're not being made perfect. He is not at work in you. So we rely on the love that he has for us. Verse 16. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. If we went to Romans 4, that would include you. Verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful, there's another dimension of God, and faithful, another dimension of God, high priest in service to God, meaning the Father, and, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. The paradigm all rests on Jesus Christ. Verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 as we see another picture of the humanity of Christ. Hebrews chapter 4. This picture of patience, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith, the faith, the application of God's word to my life that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, underline that word, 
with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. I'm tempted to be fearful right now. I know what that feels like, Jesus says. I'm tempted to say, why this? I know what that feels like, says Jesus. I'm tempted to, to, to just ask the Father, take this pain away. I know what that feels like, says Jesus. Empathy is not just, I feel bad that you're in that situation. Empathy is joining you there. And in this case, what you feel when you're tempted to be anxious is exactly what Jesus chose to feel, made human in every way. Let's read on. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, let's pick it up in verse 18. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Grace and peace. How do we have those overflowing? 2 Peter 2.1 Through the knowledge of God. When we are stretched, when we want peace that transcends understanding, we incorrectly believe, I, I can read Philippians 4, 7, and I'll have peace. That's not the picture. The picture is that when I'm anxious, I'm going to invest in knowing who God is. And then the promise is that grace and peace will be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God. Look at Paul's prayers all throughout his letters. He keeps praying, I pray that you will grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that you will grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that you will grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that you will grow in the knowledge of God so that you will live a life worthy of your calling. It seems like I'm in a situation like, Lord, look at these circumstances. What, do, what specifically do I do in these circumstances? Should I do this or should I do that? And we look up and he says, get to know me. Get to know me. Because the knowledge of God brings all of the answers to the surface. surface. Empathy. Turn back to Genesis chapter 2 as we see the beginning of this paradigm as it relates to man. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we begin in verse, we're just going to read a couple of verses, 16 and 17. This is the first command in the Bible. It's the only command given to Adam in the beginning and it is it precedes Eve so Eve is not created yet and the Lord God verse 16 of Genesis 2 commanded the man you are free free will to eat from any tree in the garden it's your decision even what I'm going to tell you next Adam it's your decision because love can't happen unless free will comes first. If free will comes first, then he can give a command. Verse 16, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat 
from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. And then he gets into the creation of Eve, beginning in verse 18. Blessing. This is all for you, Adam. Anything you choose. Command. Don't eat from that tree. Promise of wrath if you do. He couldn't have given Adam more. He loved him and gave them this incredible creation. He says, this is all for you. The choices are now yours. And then he says, but don't eat from that tree. And he says, if you do eat from that tree, death comes to you. He gave him every guardrail. It's like a, a bowling alley that you just have to get it to the other end. And Adam is standing there and God says, you're free to do anything in this bowling alley. And um, he says, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, stay away from that. But you can have everything else. And he puts up guardrails. He says, here, here's your blessing. Here's your free will. Here's your warning. Here's the conclusion of the wrong choice. Now go. And free will brings an evil choice. An evil choice leads to suffering that is described extensively in chapter 3. The ground is cursed. The woman is cursed. The work of the man is cursed. These are the sufferings that follow evil. In verse 15, a promise is made. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We'll probably talk about that this afternoon. Turn to chapter 4 as we see the patience that follows the sin wherever it goes. We need to understand what Peter is saying when he says God is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to suffer, but everyone to come to repentance. We see his patience with Cain here. Cain has already sinned. He's already disobeyed. He's already messed up. He's already become his own God. And God comes to him in patience and gives him a second chance, just like he has me. We pick it up in Genesis 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? This is extreme patience towards Cain. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I heard a, a, a senator, I don't even know who it was, it's probably good that I don't, um, saying that she, she kept building until she finally made this statement this past week. Um, we want you to do whatever you feel is right. If you're sick, don't go to work. If you think you might be sick, you don't go to work. If you just don't want to go to work, we want you to do what you think is right. And that's, that's the country that we live in on, on, on bigger questions, and we won't get into that today.
but the movement in, in Congress and in California and New York, interestingly enough, is that they want to recreate the Constitution so that people will do what they feel is right. And anyone who stops someone from doing what they feel is right will be judged by the law. Um, let's look in Romans chapter 2. What we saw in Genesis there. Blessing and freedom require boundaries. Everything falls apart without boundaries. Without a moral code, there's nothing. Without sidelines and end zones, you don't have a football game. Without, um, you know, in any sport, without rules, you lose the game. I mean, you lose the game entirely. For God to give freedom without boundary is careless. But he doesn't. Promise. Um, Adam, this is all for you. Free will. You are free to make decisions from now on as you choose. Boundaries. You must not eat from this tree. Or, and then the, the prophecy of condemnation, you will surely die. To Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Free will, blessing, second chance, promise. But if not, only wrath awaits. Sin is crouching at your door, he says to him. You must rule over it. In other words, if you want to live and love yourself, in Romans chapter 2, we pick it up in verse 3. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Without judgment, there's no love. Verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. If you want to turn on the news, I haven't for a while. If you want to look around the United States, the country that we live in, you see God's patience. You see God's kindness. We look at it as, oh, how can they do that? God looks at, looks at them and says, I love you so much. And I'm going to use this. Make no mistake about this. However this is here, it's under the authority of Jesus. I won't take his seat. I won't point to specific places. Make no mistake about it. He is using COVID-19 to bring people to repentance. In the church and outside the church. Why? Because he's kind, he's forbearing, he's patient, he's loving, and he died for each one of them to prove it. Paul says here, you have a problem with his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience? Please understand that it's his kindness that breaks a person's heart so that they will repent and turn to him. Verse 5. 
but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you, not God, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Love without boundaries, love without consequences, is careless. Consequences without love is unloving. Love without consequences is careless. It lacks righteousness. It lacks holiness. And judgment is necessary for love to exist. Turn to Romans chapter 9, often a difficult chapter to understand. But he is using this chapter to explain the very things that we are talking about. He is saying in Romans chapter 2, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, I am reaching out to you. I am saying I love you. Creation is speaking to you. I'm demonstrating who I am. I'm showing you what love is. I'm showing you what power is. I am reaching into your heart with my, my loving hand and I'm, and I'm pulling you and I'm drawing you to myself. It's my kindness that is saying, please repent. I love you so much. I want you to be in my kingdom. Please join me and fear can be obliterated. But if you refuse, if you remain, the thing about God and his omniscience, which is another dimension of God, he knows everything. So he is all powerful. He is all loving. He is all patient. He is all kind. He is all good. And he knows everything. Knowing everything is another dimension onto patience. So if we try to think from a human perspective, because we are finite, we, we started there in Isaiah, our thoughts are so far below his, but he created us like him, so that if we get to know him, we can begin to understand what he is like. So imagine a nine-month-old baby. Um, their lack of communication skills their, um, their desire to know and understand the parent, the world that's going on around them. They, they, they want to say, my stomach hurts, so they scream. They want to say, I'm hungry, so they cry. They want to say, my behind hurts, will you please change me, it's red. But I can't say any of those things. And let's say they, they form a relationship with their father. The mother's doing all the work, but they, they, this, this big dude comes in whenever I cry. And I want to explain things to him, and I want to ask questions, and I want to ask, why does my stomach hurt? Why, why, why is my behind hurt? Why am I feeling like this right now? Why do I have to wear these clothes? Why, why, why? And what he does know is that Whenever this big dude picks him up, he smiles at him, changes his diaper. He gives him a bottle. This dude loves me. And then this nine-month-old baby, through a checkup, has a heart murmur. Can't tell the baby that. Can't enter a conversation with him about that. But he walks into this doctor's office in the arms of this guy that's smiling at him. This is going to be okay. 
And all of a sudden, he goes into this room with really bright lights, and the dad holds him down on the table. And he's thinking, Dad, why are you doing this? And he holds him still, and then this evil person in a white coat comes in, and he starts putting tubes in him. And he's like, Dad, why don't you stop this? And then, while my dad is pinning me to the table, he sticks a needle in me to take blood out, and I'm screaming, Dad, do something! Dad, protect me! Dad, don't you love me? And he can't say any of those things, so he is left with those questions. And the procedures don't end, and he has to take this baby that he loves repeatedly, and each time the baby's like, Dad, I thought we had something here. I thought that you loved me. I thought that you were good. I thought that you were patient. I thought you were all of these things. And these procedures are so painful, and it seems like you don't care. And then the baby grows up and realizes, Dad, I really want to thank you for taking me through that because I wouldn't be alive today. Maybe on a simpler level, a 16-year-old child says to his dad, I want to go out with my friends. And we're going to be out late, and he knows who the friends are, and his dad says no, and there's, there's just this battle going on. And he thinks back one day in his 40s and thinks, man, the four people are going out with it. That night, two of them were killed in a car accident one day. One of them has just gone through his second divorce, and the other one is homeless. My dad saw something that I didn't see. Suffering in both of those cases. Suffering in one case is medical procedures, and in another is limitations on what I can do. You can't eat from that tree. You can't go out with those kids. That's a small glimpse of what it is like for us to say, why this, God? Why don't you stop this? We have the questions that that little baby has. Paul is talking about the patience of God in Romans 9. We're going to pick it up in verse 22. What if... Paul is asking a question to the Roman Gentiles that he knows the answer to. Remember the, the second example in chapter 2 and verse 5 is to the person who is stubborn, unrepentive, God is all-knowing. So a father knows a baby needs a medical procedure. The father... And God the Son know every moment in history of every person's life. They know, Ephesians 1.4, everyone who will believe when they will believe and they're placed in Christ forever. He also knows everyone, no matter how much patience, no matter how much love, no matter how much kindness, will say no, no, no. And He loves them so much that he says, okay. That he says, okay. That's what he said to Pharaoh. Verse 22, what if God, 
although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. So to understand this question as we get into these few verses, what if God knows that John Doe will never believe, will give poor instructions, will oppose God. Maybe he'll be an elected official. Maybe he'll be visible to many people. And he will never respond to the kindness of God. He will never repent. He is storing up wrath that one day Christ already took at the cross, he will have to take back because he refused the redemption of the cross. What about that person, Paul says? Can God use him? Absolutely, through his foreknowledge. Verse 22 again, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them a people who are not my people, and I will call them my loved one, excuse me, and I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one, referring to Israel and the church. Here, Paul is using a, a, a quote from Isaiah. What if my next door neighbor is resolved from conception to death? Never follow God. Don't care what you say. What if God uses him to make me think, maybe I should follow God. When we get into the paradigm and the dimension of all knowing, it's just, it's too big for us. He knows everything. And when he knows everything and he has patience for everything and he is always good and he is always loving and he is always powerful and he is always present, the question no longer is, why this? The question is, tell me more about yourself. Help me understand. Help me to know who it is that I'm asking so that I can understand what the answer is so that I can understand why Stephen was stoned, but the gospel spread more quickly from that event than any event post-resurrection. But in that moment, God, why this? When the girl at Columbine is shot, in that moment, God, stop it. Don't allow that to happen. But you and I will meet people in heaven including this girl, who were saved as a result of her death. He is all-knowing, all-patient, all-loving, all-powerful. 
Paul in his personal testimony. He says in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul writes the book of Romans and he says later to Timothy, he says, you know what? This patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control that I wrote about many years ago, I know it now. And I realize now that he didn't express patience any more to anyone than he did to me. But he did it to me so that the evil of the first half of my life would be overcome on a road to Damascus. And the people that knew me then and know me now know him because of it. So Peter says, God's not slow. God, end this virus right now in Jesus' name is not a legitimate prayer. Your will be done. Help me to know you better. Who's going to be saved through this? You know. Who's going to die through this? You know. Who's going to be rescued from this? You know. Patience, kindness, goodness, love, all-knowing. Peter says he's not slow as you understand slowness. He's patient with you, Peter says. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That verse encompasses the world right now. When you look around the world right now and, the, and not knowing who God is, you see chaos, you see fear, you see pride, you see self-interest. And wrapped in that is the kindness of God saying, I'm going to use all that and I'm going to wait because there's a person in the corner of this virus that is going to be the last person during it that I save. Because I know and because I love. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love Every time we scratch the surface of the depths of the paradigm of love that can only be found in you, can only be experienced through faith, and can only be shared by the work of the Holy Spirit. God, you are awesome. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.